Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. We are the podcast for the Big Self School, and we offer classes, coaching, and books to help you rediscover your purpose and activate it in bigger ways. And to help our tribe make that happen this week, we are getting real with Emily Golden. Emily is a master certified coach who specializes in executive leadership and career coaching. She has 17 years of corporate human resources experience, practical experience for more than 2,500 hours of coaching, and a deep understanding of the human mind, spirit, and human potential. And if you listen closely to this podcast, you will recognize that she is confident she knows what she's talking about. You can just hear the passion behind what she is saying. Her clients, they range from seasoned executives to emerging leaders to career changers who are, they utilize her support to close the gap between where they are and where they want to be. Just like, well, we all are trying to do that. And Emily's ontological approach allows individuals to clarify their goals, shift beliefs and habits, take risks, execute their brilliance and make quantum leaps rather than incremental improvements. And this conversation will show you how. Emily Golden, welcome to the Big Self Podcast. Hey, Emily. Welcome. Hello, Chad and Shelly. Thanks for having me. We're so glad you're here. So I'm going to jump in first because I want to hear about this new golden rule. Like, I'm super excited to hear your work around this and what you've discovered. Um, yeah, fill us in. What have sure. what is the new golden rule? So we're all familiar with the old golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Um, and I have taken conventional wisdom and flipped it on its head the, and created the new golden rule. And the new golden rule is to treat yourself the way you want others to treat you. Mm. Nice. And the reason that I have created this um, this new golden rule is from my own lived experience. Um, we live in a should culture, as I know you oh, talked yeah. about on your show. And I was the should poster girl. I shoulded my way through my life and I was doing a great job. In fact, I had it all on paper and was like, um, just with every promotion I got into the corporate world and with every promotion I was more and more dissatisfied. And I, um, I, I, I had this awakening, um, at, at one point in my journey and I realized that I was living my life for other people and in the image of what I thought I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a good look for me. Mm. Enter the new golden rule. Yeah. Um, and does it have anything to do with your last name being golden? Well, it, it, it is a play on the last <laughs> I am very fortunate to have married a man with the last name Golden. Um, and I didn't know then, but it turns out to be quite an asset. Um, How convenient. Right. 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 No, it's it's just great. It's just great. So can we get personal for a second? Oh. So I so I'm totally like nodding my head off, like yes, yes, yes. How I know I think I know from my own lived experience where I learned this shooting myself. What about you? Like what what messages did you pick up? How did that become kind of your operating manual? Sure. So I talk about this a lot in the book, The New Golden Rule. 
And um, I, so I, I, I look at kind of, there's, there's two different types of people in the world and I'm really oversimplifying, but there's the easy road and then there's the bumpy road people. And um, I, I, I'm a bumpy road person. So I was born um, and immediately at birth, uh, my parents were told I had cerebral palsy um, because I had this, my head was uh, laying in a very strange way on my shoulder. Fast forward, I have an invisible, now I have an invisible disability, a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and Klippel file syndrome, which means I am missing six discs in my cervical spine. Okay. So that sounds um, like a lot. Oh, it's a lot. And at the beginning of my life, my parents were scared to, to hold me. They were scared to hurt me. In fact, my aunt once, my aunt told me recently that um, she remembers when I was nine months old coming to visit and I looked like I was in so much pain and like she was walking that line between wanting to hold me and comfort me, but not wanting to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I share that because that, that was the beginning. And then I went to school and um, I had a lot of friends and I was friends with really smart kids and academically I could not keep up and it just didn't add up. My mom was like, she's smart, but something isn't, isn't, isn't clicking. So fast forward diagnosed with learning disabilities and um I was in and out of doctor's offices and and psychologist's office trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with me. Um, At um, once they figured out what the, what the issue was and I got the right tutoring, I started to get good grades. And then something interesting happened um, as my body matured, I actually became kind of attractive. And I don't, I don't say that like, I, I'm, I wasn't so self-assured about this, but my mom would tell me like, you're, you're pretty, you know, my father Mm. would say like, you're, you're actually attractive. Like this is surprising. (laughs) I'm not just saying this because I'm your mom or dad, right? Right. Right. And I'm not just saying this. Right. And I was like, oh, I became kind of popular and I loved that. It felt like I I never want to lose this. I never want to fall from grace because where I was before felt so awful in and out of doctor's offices, no one wanting to touch me or hold me or feel me. And, um, that became the journey of being a perfectionist and a people pleaser, mm-hmm. holding tightly to the shoulds following someone else's manual. And I did it really well. So my lived experience is, is, is this bumpy road. Now, um, I, I went ahead, I went to the the quote unquote right college my father went to, my sister went to, and then I got married to the right quote unquote right guy. He happens to be the right guy. I'm lucky for that. Um, and I went on to have two children and then my road got bumpier. My daughter at the age of five, who was this perfect little package starts to tick. She has this neurological, these neurological ticks out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I take her to doctors and then more doctors and she's diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. And I know nothing about this disorder, but now I got to figure out everything and try to fix her. Fast forward three, three years later, my son is diagnosed. So the universe continues to send me these messages of like broken fix, broken fix. And I just was, I was just becoming burnt out. I I couldn't continue to live this way. Um, And I, I wound up having my own kind of breakdown, breakthrough moment, not emotional breakdown, but just this moment of like, this cannot be what life is supposed to be. Like I have Mm -hmm. to figure 
something out. And I wound up going through a transformational coach training program, became a coach myself, and the rest is history. But, you know, Shelly, I come from a long line of um, high-performing, brilliant people. My father, my mother, who also believed that their success was prescribed by going to certain schools, getting certain educations and becoming, you know, my father's a lawyer and you either became a lawyer or a doctor. And he was, you know, quote unquote successful, but you never rock the boat and you never know what tomorrow will bring. Be well behaved, be the good girl, you know? So ingrained, you know, that's cultural, but it's what I was fed at home too. So yeah. Yeah. So how, how did you make that shift from this people pleaser who, you know, figured out, you know, the strategy of, okay, so, so safety for me or acceptance for me is that I have to figure out how to please people so that I don't want to go back to what, what was, how did you shift from that to this idea of, of like self-work? Like putting yourself, like really thinking about your needs and, and who you are and bringing that more into the world? Great question. So let's just back up. At nine, when I was diagnosed with these learning differences, my mom noticed that I wasn't feeling great about myself. So she put me in therapy. And I'm a big believer in therapy and mm-hmm. that, that work. Yeah. Um, so I've always been a student of therapy. Um, but I, 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 I was only able to get so far with the therapeutic work. Um, what I, the, the, the real transformation for me happened when I learned to ask for support. When I learned to ask for support in a radical way, in a way that felt indulgent and self-centered. I mean, I'm going to put it out there. I felt selfish when I asked for what I really wanted. Mm-hmm. which was which was um a whole lot of support a coach sometimes multiple coaches you know a therapist when i need um and asking my husband to do certain things that really bucked the kind of the norm of like what i should be asking him to do um looking at who in my life was supporting and giving me energy and who was draining me and making the shift to set myself up to be amply supported and to ask for that. What I learned was that when I had my needs met, and this is an ongoing practice, I was able to meet (laughs) others' needs, right? Like Mm -hmm. my kids have never been as happy as they are you know, forget now they're watching me out in the world with my book and my business, but I'm more available and present to them because I'm showing up for me. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that's an important message for universally for everyone to to hear, but let me as, as the token man here, ask (laughs) this question of you, Emily. Uh, Well, so don't men, you know, culturally as, you know, as well as perhaps, um, just microcosmically, don't men already put themselves first? You know, I don't know how much this this message you kind of are like intending for women to hear, or do you believe that just this is for everyone? This message is for everyone, and um, the it may occur on the outside like men put themselves first. Um, half of my clients are men, 
Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that they don't put who they truly are first. Uh, they, put, they put some facade of who they think they're supposed to be. Yeah. Out. And there, that is the fodder for, you know, imposter syndrome and, um, you know, the, the men, the men I work with tend to be incredibly judgmental and, and, and critical, critical of themselves and, and, uh, and critical of others. So this is a unisex message. This is a, I don't care who you are, what you are, this applies to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just shows up differently in the yeah, genders. It's making me think of, um, so, and I agree with you. I think, I think there is, the way you just framed that is a little bit different than I think how mainstream kind of talks about self-care because it's not about like only meeting your needs, but it's about honoring who you, who you really are. Uh, and I do think that message is, is universal. It's making me think of, um, and we've talked about this book, the burnout book from the Nagoski sisters. So they talk about human giver syndrome Um, which I want to read their definition, is the contagious but false belief that some people have a moral obligation to be pretty uh, or handsome, happy, calm, generous, and attentive to the needs of others. These are the human givers, while others have a moral obligation to be competitive, acquisitive, and infallible, the human beings. And I think that that really does set up this this really interesting conversation around, you know, like I've asked myself, am I a human giver or my human being? No, and I I can definitely see pattern like conditioned patterns in my life where I I give to get. Like I'm not good about asking for my own needs to be met, and so I have this kind of strategic way that I give and give and give and give to other people. It's kind of what you're talking about, Emily. With you know, giving to others gets us something in return versus being just radically honest. Like, no, like this is what I need. Like, I'm not going to play this game anymore. And I'm going to put my stake in the ground and say, say what it is, whether it's to a partner or a child or boss or colleague. Like, I think it's really important to recognize and speak those needs that we do have. Absolutely. It's an act of courage. Um, yes. And wildly uncomfortable because yeah. we are not used to it, and we don't even know what they are sometimes. Right? Like, I, you know, I, th- I would wonder in your coaching, do you know, like people that I've coached before, like I don't even know what I need. Like mm-hmm. I have so cut that off that I don't even know how to pull it back in into my conscious awareness. How do you how do you handle that with people? Absolutely. Well, it's funny because I was working with a client I've been working with for about two years now uh, this morning and um, she showed up and uh, she said, I've been really thinking about what I need around this one particular issue we were talking through. And she said, Emily, it's because you always ask your first question is what do you need? So um, how do I work around that? It's really it starts with training the brain, Mm -hmm. um, training the brain to to inquire whenever, um, whenever I am, or one of my clients is, uh, in a, in a, in an uncomfortable space, like, a like a feelings, like an uncomfortable space, they're angry or frustrated, or, um, they show up in a, in, um, just like not at their, at their best. Um, it's often because they're operating on top of an unmet need, um, and, and, and I really encourage the pause of 
taking a look at, you know, let's just stop and let's just like actually get quiet, close your eyes Mm -hmm. and take a body scan. What do you need? Like, are you craving a cookie? I mean, is it that (laughs) simple? Are you thirsty? Do you need a hug? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's often that simple. I mean, the other day I was just feeling heavy and there was no apparent reason. And the old me would have made myself wrong or tried to numb it out, you know? Yeah. But I, I came up to my husband and he, he's like, what's wrong with you? I said, I just need you to put your arms around me, hug me, and mm-hmm. just tell me you love me. He said, but you know I love I love you. I said, yeah, just do it. He did. <laughs> I need to hear it right now. Done. <laughs> I love How that. How tiring is that? It is so simple sometimes. I, my daughter was like struggling emotionally with something recently and she couldn't articulate it. And I was like, well, let's just go through some basics. Like, are you tired? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? And she said yes to all of them. I'm like, well, let's start there. Let's like meet some basic needs and then let's talk through what else might be going on. Well, actually, as you say that, Shelly, like one thing that we identify with with our kids is that, you know, the degrees to which they are able to sort of ask for what they need. And, you know, and I think different people uh, are better at that than others. Mm-hmm. Um, I know sometimes that when we're adults, you know, we're not used to just being able to say, hey, I want blank. Right. And, and often when you're asking me to like give you a hug or something like that, then I'm like, well, like, I mean, it feels, I'm like, now I have to do it because you're prescribing that I do it. It just doesn't feel the same. But, well, maybe for you. Right. Right. But I'll happily do it now. I've learned that too. <laughs> That's right. Well, and, and again, it's, it's training, right? So one of the yeah. things that I also, I also share with my clients is we must, we have already trained the people in our life to be with us in a certain way. So I have trained my mm-hmm. husband that I, that I operate on top of my needs, that I don't ask for much, right? That was the old me. I had to go ahead and retrain him. I had to retrain the people in my life to be with me in a different way. And that is not always an easy task. It often is very challenging. And sometimes there's, there's fall away, right? Sometimes, right. sometimes there's people that are no longer in your life because they don't want to be with that new you. And that's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Always training the people in our life to be with us in a certain way and mm-hmm. always have choice. That yeah, is so true. That's... Yeah. They've got to, you know, when you're growing and you've got to have those long-term relationships uh, grow along with you. You know, you, Emily, are an expert uh, at helping now others fight that inner critic and embrace who we are and accept those imperfections. And of course, we, we do hear this message from a lot of coaches, but we don't often hear specifically how to put it into practice. So could, for our audience's sake right now, could you give us some specifics of how you coach your clients in this area um, and of course you've just given us a personal anecdote, um, but yeah. just, you know, how do you, how do you help them maybe fight like perfectionism or trying to keep I, up appearances? I love this question. And I, the thing that I love most about coaching and the way that I coach is it's not just theory, like it's, it's action. Like we get into action around it. So in my book, I outline this, but I say that there are, uh, my fundamental belief is that there are two sides of self. There's the golden self, which is highest and best you. 
um, the essence of who you truly are and mm-hmm. always have been. And then there's this survival self, this survival instinct, the gremlins, the inner critic, the survival mechanism. And these two pieces of you make up who you are and have gotten you through life um, and will continue to get you through life. You always have choice as to which of these aspects of yourself you come from. So in any given situation, so the meaty work that I do with my clients is to distinguish golden self from survival self. Um, And not that survival self is wrong. It's not. It's just not always and often not the place that is the best look for you to come from in a given situation. So golden self, right? My golden self my, is, 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 is who I be at the highest. It's radiance, it's passion, it's vision, it's wisdom, it's love. I know this like the back of my hand. When I am in doubt, this is what I go back to, these words, and I root myself in them. I ground myself in them. I ask the question, what would vision do in this situation? The survival self, um, I tend to have a uh, a, a bit of an addiction for the drama. I love me some drama. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I'll get hooked in that. I get Oh, hooked. I run from the drama. What'd you say? I, I think I run from the drama. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's I, a marriage I, counseling, so, you know, podcast some other time. So. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but we actually come up with fun names uh, uh, for the survival self. Like I have, um, I have a client who's one of her survival self names is controlled avalanche because she is a control enthusiast like myself. And she, um, she tries to be so controlled, um, and she's operating on top of so much with that. So, um, it's really just this distinguishing and, and giving the client the choice, um, is a powerful experience. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, I, I guess I could resemble the controlled avalanche think, at times. Yeah, I think mine is the inner bitch. That's my survival, <laughs> like where I just like unleash on people to, get to back everybody away. I think that's mine. So I want to talk for a second about confidence. Um, and I feel like this is really important. So I've, we've been doing some market research even recently, and we've been looking at trends in personal growth development over the next five to seven years. And it's really interesting. So they're talking about stress management is becoming less of a of a sector, like maybe because it's saturated and more and more people are looking for confidence coaching, coaching around confidence and, and kind of stepping into, um, it sounds like the, the space that you're working in. So that's, I think that's really cool. But like the, the confidence to clarify your own needs and then communicate them and then figure out some type of um, pragmatic way to maintain them. How do people do that? Like, how do they find that confidence? So first off, I, it makes me giggle because this idea that confidence is this thing that I must find. And once I find Mm -hmm. it, then Dun, dun, right? People come to me all the time and they're like, so Emily, what I need is help finding confidence. And then I'm going to be able to ask for that raise. Or I'm going to be able to go out and get that job. Or once I have the confidence, then I'm going to leave the marriage. Then that, then I'm going to do that thing. Right. Yeah. And 
unfortunately, they've got it backwards. Um, and so this is where I get to mess with their thinking, which is one of the things I love to do. So confidence comes from taking action and being willing to fail, getting back up and then taking action again, being willing to fail and getting back up and taking action again. So confidence is the result, not the, is the result of taking the action. Um, and it, it is a byproduct. So um, it's like the cool hand Luke approach. Kinda. I don't get that losing reference. and like winning from losing. Or oh. no? <laughs> I don't know. He got, he got beat and fell down and got up again and again. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but you have to build up some resilience to be able to do that. Right. You have to. So, so, and you know, we think if I always think about our children, right. Our children are put into situations where they are told go fail go fail, right? They're learning. Like, how do they learn? They fail. They make mistakes. And their comfort zone expands and expands and expands because we are pushing them to fail and learn and grow and fail and learn and grow. And they're building confidence and their world is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then we hit adulthood, <clears throat> excuse me, and then, and then, and then it stops for many of us right? It stops. And we're like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to put myself in a situation where I might fail. The amount of people that I talk to that say, I am so afraid of failing. You know, I, it's the fear of failure. That's the thing that's holding me back. Well, the good and bad news is you're right on the money. And the way to work through it is to expose yourself to it. This is why a coaching partnership with a skilled coach or a trainer or whatever it is that you're working on, you, you don't expect that you're going to be able to do this alone. And that's not to say I don't have faith in people. It's just like we can't read the label from inside the jar. We can't see our own stuff from inside. Yeah. So we need that support from outside to call us forth and say, Hey, you said last week you were going to do X, Y, and Z or say X, Y, and Z or not say X, Y, and Z. And had that go for you? You didn't do it. What happened? Right? And yeah, well, and it strikes me what you're saying is a lot of people want kind of a, a template. They want to, you know, paint by the numbers kind of approach to solving their problems, which strikes me as whether you're an adult or a kid, like kind of a fixed mindset approach. And you're trying to say, hey, break out of that and get into some growth mindset. 100%. The thing my clients hear from me all the time is um, I'm not in this for the fix. If you want to fix, you can go out and Google 10 steps to, you know, to yeah. breaking through imposter syndrome or five steps to breaking through imposter syndrome. And look, I get it. It's kitschy and everyone likes the five or the 10 steps. We live in a culture of fix, 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 fix. I and fix fast. I'm sorry. And, f and fix fast, fix and me fast, fast. <laughs> yeah. And I will tell you as the living product of fix me, fix me, fix me. Mm. It, it is, it is a bottomless pit. I'm not in the business of fixing. I am in the business of transforming. That's work that is worthy of anyone. Mm. I like that. And that is, it's a, it's a process. I do too. I love that. I'm thinking about the situation with your husband and going to him and saying, Hey, I really need a hug. Just say, I, you, you love me. And like the con the, the, 
uh, inherent risk in that, right? So there's just to, to, to say what you need and then maybe to be met with, oh, really, God, I, I just, you know, or whatever fear you we concoct in our heads that we're going to be met with. You know, because one of the things that I have found as someone who has, has bounced through failure over the last few years, I needed community. Like I needed people around me to normalize not only the failure, like the sucks, uh, but also the fear, like, okay, we, it is scary to step out there in whatever way that, you know, you need to, but we're going to do it together. So, and then to your point about the coach or, you know, like, a, you know, trusted friends or just some type of community around you that can normalize that. I think that is so, I didn't realize how important it was until I needed it. Shelly, thank you so much for saying that. And um, one thing I didn't mention is community. Um, that is all, That has also been instrumental in my own transformation and something I highly, highly mm-hmm. recommend, right? We um, be in communities that, that, that see you and see your greatness and also um, celebrate failure and celebrate bigger and bigger Mm. and bigger. I was in circles before that, um, wanted to like from love, like they wanted to support me to stay safe and small. Like don't do that because that's risky. And I get it. I understand. And, and I today just started a mastermind with four other really powerful women and we are supporting each other to breakthrough in each other's businesses. And uh, you know, what I asked for is call me forth. You know, here's, here's the games that my brain will play. Um, community is so incredibly important. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds, sounds like fun. It's this this balance between the safe place, but also I'm pushing you out of the nest a little bit. (laughs) Like I want you to see the vision that is calling you forth. I love that. Well, okay. And you know, why we're at, so it, it takes, and this is similar to the questions we've just posed, but it's maybe a little bit different, you know, just being willing to admit you failed at something not only takes vulnerability and a little bit of inner self-confidence, but it also requires self-awareness. Some people are just, especially with our culture, we're just in denial about like even just admitting to ourselves that we might've failed in something. I'm just wondering, how do you, Emily, how do you lead people to accepting that they failed being willing to even be vulnerable enough in the first place, maybe to even have that community? How How do you lead? And maybe they just need to be kinder to themselves. How do you lead them to that? Um, I love this question. And one of the, in my book, I talk about emotional intelligence and self-awareness is one of the four key emotional intelligence, um, composites that I I think is so incredibly important. Um, first off in a coaching relationship and a coaching partnership, I always tell my client, I'm here to serve you, not please you. And that means I'm going to say things sometimes that are going to be um, triggering or to you potentially, or um, I'm going to hit you between the eyes with the reality of what I'm seeing on the outside that you may fight me on or disagree with. And that's totally fine. Um, And it's in service of me supporting you to become more aware. Um, It is 
not unusual for people to not recognize the impact of their words, their uh, their way of being, their actions on others. So I will reflect it. Um, that is part of my job. Um, I will also, um, you know, I, I think one of the ways, by the way, that I'm able to do that and do that safely is um, it creating deep, trusting relationship where I, where the yeah. client is 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 willing to hear it. Yeah. Um, and know that it's coming from a, a from a, a loving place. The reason that I think self awareness like is kind of batted away is because there's fear. Like I don't want to look there. If I look exactly. there, if I look yeah. there, then that means I have to admit um, I'm wrong, or maybe I'm bad in some way, or I'm flawed in some way. And then maybe I have to take a different action. And I don't know how to do that. So it's a lot of, to your point, then like, what are you afraid of? And it's okay to be afraid. Let's hold hands and look together. Let's explore and dive in there together. Mm -hmm. It all begins and ends with self-awareness. Yeah. It does. Can you tell us a little bit more about your book? So I know that we're, because the self-awareness component, the emotional intelligence component to this, mm-hmm. um, like I'm curious what other parts of this, uh, the, the golden rule, like what, yeah. what did we call the it? The new golden rule. The new golden rule. Is it out or is it just coming out? It's, it's out. The new golden rule oh. is out. You can get it on Amazon, uh, barnesandnoble.com and uh, warrenpublishing.net. Um, so the book is um, essentially, it's three parts kind of woven together. Um, the first part is my story. And um, I talk about the bumpy road um, and my own journey. The second part is my coaching process. So um, high level, the golden self-survival self and mm-hmm. um, you know the, 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 the way that I support my client to create the vision for the work that we're doing. Um, and then the third part is client vignettes. So um, I like to be able to provide concrete examples of how the work has actually been applied. And then throughout um, emotional intelligence is weaved into every chapter. So um, specifically mm-hmm. self-awareness, interpersonal relationships, emotional expression, and this may be old school now, according to your new research, stress tolerance. <laughs> oh, I think it's still a thing. Oh, no, stress is <laughs> yep, still, it's an ongoing process. Like yeah, you said. I, think, I think that that research may have been done pre-pandemic too. So, Got it. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, well, that's, that's awesome. Great. We're going to celebrate your book a little bit more. We'll put it on the show notes. It's a handsome book. Got a lot of testimony. You know, there, people are, yeah, they're bragging on you. They, I think that what you're doing um, is some powerful medicine, yeah. not just the band-aids that a lot of people are looking for. Um, but Emily, one thing that you say too, is you're like, this is a process. I'm still, I still have to work on myself. Um, what are some practices or routines that work for you? So this is a process. There is no there, there. It is here. <laughs> Present moment. First practice, be where you are. Acceptance of the present moment. Um, so some of the simple practices in my life. Um, first off, my dogs are my grounding being source for me. I have two dogs and 
I spend time with them every day, just cuddling. And that is extremely important. Are they um, golden retrievers? They are not, but oh. they are, they are, they're Australian labradoodles. It would be perfect if they were golden doodles or golden, um, or golden retrievers. Mm -hmm. We'll work on one day. <laughs> and you're That's saying so there's no golden pot at the end of the rainbow. The gold is here now. Right. There we go. There we go. Um, I like it. So, and, and so, um, and a few other, um, like daily practices, um, gratitude. It's so, I know it's so overplayed, but really, and truly it is programming your mind to look for what is right and what is good. As my coffee brews every morning, mm. I write down five things I am grateful for in my life. And then I wrote, write a six that I'm grateful for about my body because like many people, women particularly, I tend to have a um, complicated relationship with my body. Mm -hmm. um, and I, especially having this invisible disability, I, I need to be loving on my body every single day mm -hmm. for the gift that it is. I love that. Yeah, that, that's good stuff. Yeah, I, am, I love this question. I love that we ask our guests this question because I'm really trying to get ideas for a good morning routine because I'm not that great <laughs> at it. But so we certainly that's helpful. Yeah, we've yeah. we had the gratitude challenge in all of November and we have deep dived into gratitude and it is powerful stuff. So we you're, you're preaching to the choir here on that one. It is. And every once in a while, I'll open my gratitude journal, which sits right by our Keurig machine. And my husband will have written a gratitude or two or three. Um, and my daughter has now started to do it sometimes as well. So, um, and it's always something that they're grateful for about me, which is like incredibly heartwarming. Oh, oh I bet. Yeah, that's sweet. My kids don't do that. <laughs> so now how do you feel about yourself? <laughs> we may need to talk later, Emily. Oh, oh, oh girl. The, the, the kids, yeah, they're, they're a great reflection. So anytime I want to remember my survival self, I just, you know, I just spend a little bit of time with my children who I love dearly, um, but they're teenagers and you know how that goes. Yes, well, we yes. do. We sure do. Well, this has been great. Hal, I want to uh, tell everybody how to get in touch with you and where they can find your book. Absolutely. Um, so you can get in touch with me at golden-resources.com. That is my website. Okay. And um, my email is on there, my phone number, all of it. Um, and then you can find the book and links to buy the book at different um, at different places at thenewgoldenrule.info. Yeah, that's where I saw a lot of those testimonials. Um, yeah, and we'll link all this up in our yeah. show notes for people. Everywhere books are sold around the world. Well, this is great. So th thank you so much for being here and being in this, yeah. in this conversation with us and being a part of our community now. Like you're one of us. You're a big selfer. Yeah, this is right in line with our audience is going to dig this big time. Well, I just want to thank you so much for inviting me into your community, for having me on today, and really at the highest level for the work that you're doing in the world, the content that you're putting out there. Um, we need more people doing this kind of work. So thank you so much. Well, Thanks thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Likewise, uh, let's do this again sometime. And uh, thank you so much for being on, Emily. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Big Self School. 
If you've been a part of our growing community from around the globe, 54 countries by last count, we love your presence and are so glad you are listening. I hope that the process is making a difference in your life. We have one small ask that will make a big difference. If you would be so kind as to help our online visibility by giving us a review on Apple iTunes, we would be deeply grateful. Your support in this one small way will make a big difference. So we thank you in advance and we will see you next week.